All right, well, good morning. Really? This, we have a Keurig. You can get coffee. <laughs> so let's try it again. Good morning. good morning. There we go. That's good. I mean, y'all sang loud. I mean, at least be loud for me, too. It's, uh, it'd be nice. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And again, um, and we just want to honor moms, all types of moms, foster moms, grandmoms, young moms, old moms, every mom. Um, I just... I can't imagine my life without my mom of where I'd be. And so we're so thankful of you. And as we have been um, going over, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this whole idea of who's your one. And it kind of fits with Mother's Day. It does because I I think the greatest influence our kids have, um, the number one spiritual influence they have is mom and dad. And most of the time, mom, um, because dad's usually out working and stuff. And everything, But the whole idea is that we can get so caught up in the needs on this planet and all the people around us and all the people that aren't going to church and, and all the other things going on that we just seem overwhelmed. And what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is this idea like just start with one. One person at a time will change the world. I believe that with all my heart. Just one person at a time, that we would take the time to invest in, that we would take the time to share our story, to share God's story, to to be a disciple maker. Not just a churchgoer, but a disciple maker. There's a huge difference there. We have churches full of people that are churchgoers. What we need is churches full of disciple makers. People that have caught on to the mission that Jesus said, I came to save, to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. That's our mission. And so you're going to hear me continuously push that and say that over and over again because that is the mission. If we're not doing that as a church, I don't think we can call ourselves a church. And so this morning, I just want to continue on this whole line of thought about who's your one. And I want to kind of talk about the importance of one. Um, and, and, and how important it is to just think about that one. And so if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have them everywhere. If you want to use our Wi-Fi, it's GBC Guest. Just type in Find More in all lower caps. You can plug in and line up there. But as I said in the beginning, we believe this is our authority. These words are the only words that matter. These words are the only words that change. These words are the only words that count. Nothing that I have to say or theologian or anything else that I've looked up matter except these words. And so I've acknowledged that and, um, and the trust in that and belief in that. I'm going to ask if you just stand for me. As you read in John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, <coughs> John writes this. He says, the next day Jesus decided to leave Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israel in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of of Israel. Will you pray for me? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather once again, God, just to be with your people in your presence. God, I thank you that we don't have to 
do any ceremony. We don't have to do any sacrifice. We don't have to do any, any type of thing to have you join us, God, that you were here long before we even woke up this morning. God, in eternity past, you looked down and you saw exactly who would be here today. And so, God, you know what needs to be said. You know what needs to be done. You know what changes need to be made, what encouragement we need, what challenge we need, what change we need. And so, Father, we simply ask, have your way. God, move me out of the way. Let these words be your words, not mine. God, let them penetrate the hearts, the minds, the souls of everyone. God, I pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out. God, to walk out of here different than when we came in. To be changed and overwhelmed once again by your grace, your love, your holiness, your presence. So God, again, just have your way. Whatever happens today, Father, may you be the only one that gets credit. And God, may you get all the glory and all the praise because you're the only one that deserves it. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you. Lead our time now. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, we've been talking about this, like, who's your one? Who's your one? We've been challenging you to think of that one person, that one neighbor, or that coworker, or, or that friend, or that family member, that one person that God has just placed upon your heart. And I hope, I really, really hope that over the last couple of weeks, you've been using those devotional guides, that prayer guide, and just praying about that and, and doing that. But the, the, the question is, is why only one? You know, when you think about it, we're prone to think like one is very insignificant because how many of us only have one cookie? You can tell it's not me. <laughs> how, how many of us only have maybe one chip? You can't only eat one or just, just one thing. And so we, we think that one is very insignificant and, and it doesn't mean a lot, but one can change everything. Just, just that one, one invitation can change everything. One person, I, one, one of my heroes of the faith is a guy named D.L. Moody. Everybody that's been around kind of knows D.L. Moody, this great preacher, this great pastor. He started Moody Institute Bible Institute, has sent thousands and thousands of people around the world on missions. Nobody knows about the little, the little guy that was his Sunday school teacher that led him to the Lord. See, one is important. One is significant because one invitation can change everything. Because the fact is, is the gospel can change and will change everything. See, I believe with all my heart the gospel is the thing that changes everything. I've been a part of so many different things that have been helped, mentorships and, 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 and self-help groups and, and all this stuff. And the truth of the matter is, if we want to see change in our community, if we want to see change in this world, if we want to see change in our country and all over the place, it's the gospel that's going to change. And I hope you believe that this morning, because I know Paul did. Paul said it. And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is, that's the power. Do we understand the richness of the gospel? Do we even understand what the gospel is? Do, do we understand what it means? Because the very first thing we need to know is that, do it. There we go. We don't save. 
None of you here, not me, not me is going to save one person on this planet. I, I grew up in church. I grew up in Baptist church and stuff. And I grew up with pastors that are saying, if you don't tell people about Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell and, and all this stuff. And, and there was so much pressure on me. And so we were always worried about like, oh, how do I do this and do all this? And if I don't do this, then these people won't be saved. Listen to me. I want to take the pressure off of you right now. You're not going to save anybody. It's the power of the gospel. It's what Jesus did that saves everybody. All we have to do is be obedient. You don't have to go to seminary or cemetery. matters which one you went to. <laughs> you don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to memorize the, you don't have to memorize the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament and all that stuff. You just need to know that the gospel works. It always has. It, 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 it always will. Man, this thing is just going crazy on me today. There we go. I love technology. The gospel works. The gospel, it's a simple story. Do you know how the gospel saves? Do you know the story? Have you ever heard of the thing Roman roads? This thing's starting to annoy me. Watch this. <laughs> Do you, have you heard that phrase, the Romans road? Has anybody not heard that? And so it's basically, it was the old thing that they taught us and stuff when you're leading someone to Christ and everything and stuff. You went through these passages through Romans, and it would say stuff like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. You understand in Romans that all of us have sinned. Well, the one thing that we have common ground on is that we all need a Savior. Everyone on this planet, there's no one higher, there's no one greater, there's no one smarter, none of us. We all need a Savior because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the price of that sin is death. At some point, we have a God that created us perfect and created everything perfect, and we looked at him and said, I'd rather do it my way. And because of that sin, that word we hate, and death, that thing we hate came into this planet. And that's the price of it, but the gift, but the biggest but in the Bible, but the gift of God is life through Christ Jesus. Because why? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were still enemies of God, he died for us. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's, that's the gospel, and it works. We don't need lasers we don't need rock bands. We don't need massive cathedrals and systems and PowerPoints. We don't need any of that stuff because the gospel works. It always has worked. I remember a ministry, and I think I've probably told you the story before. We started a ministry called First Priority years ago. About It's just about teaching kids how to share the testimony and share the gospel. Every single month, that's all they did is they shared the gospel. They shared their testimony and everything. I remember we were at this little middle school in Groveland. And I had this little kid, he was like an eighth-year-old, eighth-grade boy, came up and he's like, hey, you're going to share the gospel today. And he's like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. He came up to me that morning, he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, why, bud? You're good. He's like, no, if I screw it up, they're going to go to hell. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, brother, brother, it's good. Here, I have it written down for you. Just read what's on the page. This little eighth-grade boy got up and he's like, hi, welcome to parentheses, enter club name here, parentheses. <laughs> Literally everything. Aww. I'm surprised he didn't say period, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> and at the end of it, I sat there. I was like, oh, my gosh, that was really bad. 
there may be someone going to hell after all. I don't know. <laughs> this is horrible. And so being the pastor and the youth pastor I was, I was like, good job, buddy. That took a lot of guts. Great. Hey, does anybody have questions or can we clarify some of that? Do, can I go over anything? Two guys raised their hands and back said, yeah, we just accepted Jesus. What do we do now? You know why? Because the gospel works. We don't need anything at you. Remember, remember your story. Remember the riches of this message. It is the greatest rich. It is the greatest wealth. It is the greatest riches. It is the greatest treasure that we could ever have is this gospel. That's why in Matthew, he talks about, Jesus talks about it. He says, and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. You, you need to understand a little bit about this culture. One of the, the finest, most expensive, and the rarest jewel at this time was not diamonds and stuff. It was pearls. Because for them to get it, they had to dive down, and they had to get it. There was so much great risk, and so anyone that found a pearl, a priceless pearl, they would sell everything because it was the greatest riches. And what Jesus is saying, the gospel, the kingdom of God, is that pearl, and it's worth everything to us. We have to remember our story. Do you remember your story? Do you remember the moment when it became real to you? Because if not, we're going to have an invitation at the end of the service, and we can help you with that today. Because if you claim, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you have a story to tell. And it is a magnificent story, and it is a beautiful story of redemption. I found this really old gospel song by Bill Gaither called Thanks to Calvary. I was going to do it in a country twang, but it's just, no, I'm not going to. (laughs) And I just pulled some lines from it. It says, today I went down to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. And when they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And as the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And as the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Do you have that story? Thanks to Calvary, I'm not that person anymore. I have been changed. I have been redeemed. I have, I have been turned inside out and upside down. See, my problem was is, I, is, is that so many people know the gospel. They've heard the gospel. But is your life different because of the gospel? That's our story. And if we have that story, if we know, man, that, that this is what's happened to us, that I became a better father, a better husband, a better man, or a better mom, or a better grandma, or better whatever, because of Calvary, because of the gospel, how can we keep that to ourselves? It's such a great treasure that we have. And if, when we realize that, man, I think we want to share that. And that's exactly what's happening in our passage today. It's basically the invitation to come and see. Come and see. Look, go back to John 1, verse 43 and 46. 
This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's, put, he's choosing his disciples. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about this rabbi that actually came up and went to them and said, come follow me. Because the process was that you found a rabbi, sat at his feet, and hopefully, hopefully you were good enough. But that's not the case with Jesus, because he comes to us. He comes and seeks us. One great, great hemorrhage, one thing, he is the hound of heaven seeking us, going after us, chasing after us. <coughs> and that's what he's doing. And so in 43, we see that next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. <coughs> he had just been in front of John the Baptist and all that other stuff. People are seeing and noticing him. And he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, and Nathaniel's response, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, all that happened there is that he made the invitation. I don't know how, I don't know why, Philip, or maybe he had heard stuff, maybe it was just the power, more likely it was the Holy Spirit coming on him. When Jesus said, follow me, he's like, he was like the rest, forget it, man, I'm following you, this is awesome, Rabbi's choosing me, this is the one. He goes to his brother and asks him the same thing. He's like, hey, we found this guy. You want to do this? And his response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, we come and see and we get changed, but it doesn't stop there because after that we have to go and tell. See, for so many we come and see and we get filled and we, get, we feel good about ourselves and we get that moment and we're so excited and we don't do anything with us. How can, how can you hold that in? <laughs> when she said yes, I told everyone. If you're on Facebook right now, you can go in there and see when she found out we were going to be grandparents. <laughs> By the way, it's a girl. She's going to be a tomboy. I already figured out her fishing pole. <laughs> yes, it is. Because I'm granddad. You don't get to say anything. Right now. Shh. <laughs> Shh. So, it's my grandchild. But, <laughs> but, I mean, if you see that, it's like we're getting notes from all over people because my wife is dancing and doing all kinds of stuff. Very unbaptist, sorry. But it was just great. Just the excitement. She couldn't hold it in. I can't hold it in. <laughs> Jesus is so much more than me becoming a grandfather. How can I not go and tell? That's, that's what happened. And notice it's not an argument. He's not arguing with them, is he? When he says, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you really Nazareth, that little tiny town? Like Groverland is a metropolis. <laughs> There's nothing there. No one comes out of there. Really? Nazareth? Really? And all he says is like, I'm not going to argue with you. Just come and see. That's all we're called to do, y'all. We're called to go to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, all those people, our family, all of them, and just say, hey, just come and see. Just, just come and see for yourself. I looked up some statistics. Did you know 20% of believers will invite another believer to church? Did you hear what I said? 20% out of all of them. 
80% aren't doing anything. But 20% of believers will invite another believer. I don't have a problem with that. But church is not built on cheap sharing. That's the problem with most churches today. We build a new church. We plant a new church. And how do we get members? We go and find them from another church and bring them in. That's awesome. If the people aren't going to church, you find a place. They just move into the neighborhood like, hey, come see my church. Come and be a part of that. But we're inviting another believer. Only 2% will invite an unbeliever. Tell me there's not something wrong with that. Why did Jesus came? To seek and save the lost. We've made our churches into a bunch of holy huddles. Where we circle the things and we don't like, we don't want culture to come in. We don't want anything to come in. We're just going to look at Habakkuk and we're just going to read our Bibles and wait for Jesus to return. That's not a church. It's a cult. Our job is to go and tell and to invite And look what happens because he invited his brother. Didn't argue with him. He just invited him. Look at verse 47. It says, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because Jesus saw him under a fig tree? It changed everything because he was invited. We can't just come and see. We have to go and tell. So how do we do that? How do we find the one? I've got, I've got a couple of things for you this morning as we kind of start wrapping up. How, how do we find that one? One I hope you already have. I hope you've been praying, saying, God, who's that one person? But there's a couple things we need to do. The first one is we got to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. Now, I believe God causes that every person we run into throughout the day is a divine appointment. But that one that we're supposed to invest in, that one we're supposed to not only share our story, but share the gospel and then walk with them, disciple, so that they go become a disciple maker. We got to be intentional. We got to say, I'm going to do this every day. I have to wake up and say, God, there is this person in my life that you have placed. God, give me opportunity to speak. God, let me make time. Let me put it in my schedule. If, if you're like, I know one girl right now that she literally has a little schedule book and everything. She's like, brush my teeth at 8 a.m. at 8.30, do my hair. I mean, she does everything right now. If that's you, then do that. Put in, hey, at 9 o'clock, I'm going to have coffee with this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my story with them. I'm going to do this and put it in. Set a goal, but be intentional because if you're just going to sit here, they're not going to come. Field of Dreams is a great movie, but it's not true. If we build it, they will come. Really? Where are they? We are filling our churches with other church members instead of reaching the lost. We got to be intentional about it. We, we've got to sit there and say, yes, I'm going to do it. And by the way, you can't do it on your own. Find some accountability. Man, we don't like that word. It was like a kind of key word back in the 90s and early 2000s. Like, I, I have an accountability partner. Yeah, that's really cool because I'm a mentor. And, I mean, but we've never used it. Find someone that's going to sit there and like, hey, have you talked to anybody this week? And it can't be just me. 
can't be just a pastor. Go find someone that will hold you accountable. Go find someone that will sit there and, and, and challenge you to go find that person. Who's your one? Who's your one? Be asking yourself. Ask yourselves in your homes. Ask yourself in your neighborhood. In church, you show up on Sunday morning. You say, hey, cousin. Hey, who's your one? How can I pray with you? Did you get a chance to talk to me yet? Let's hold each other accountable because we can't do this alone. That's why we have the church. All different backgrounds, all different financial statuses, all different economic and, and social statuses, all different people. It's great because it's common ground. We all need a savior. We're all here, but we all have different jobs to do. You think I joke about that when I say, hey, we have a job for you. We have a job for you. Yes, we do, because it takes everyone to fulfill God's plan in the kingdom. That's the body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are mouths. Some of us are armpits. We need it all. All of it. So find accountability. And then finally, grow in maturity. Continue to grow. I've said this before. If you are no closer, no more like Jesus today than you were a year ago, then we need to sit down and talk because there's a serious issue. Every day, every year, I should be growing more like Christ. The fact is, if we accept Christ's identity, he who knew no sin became sin, that we would become his righteousness. We accept that identity, that righteousness, that holiness of God. We let that cover us. If we accept that, then we have to embrace his mission. Spurgeon once said, was asked, like, can the heathen ever be saved? And he replied, the better question is, can those who aren't sharing the story actually be saved? We accept the mission. We embrace his mission because we're becoming more like him. And why did he come? To seek and save the lost. So we find our one by being intentional, by finding accountability, by growing in maturity. And then we go and tell. I've got a challenge for you over this next year. Over the next 50 weeks. It's very, very simple. Each one, bring one. This is my challenge for you. This is my challenge for me. And there's some things that you need to know that I found out this weekend. Again, um, some statistics. Did you know that last year, 75 million people visited Central Florida? 75 million people visited here. More than anywhere else in the world, more than any other city in the nation, 75 million people. We always talk about we have to reach the nations. Guess what? They're coming here. And they're wearing Mickey Mouse ears and minion hats. They're here. It's almost like God said, well, if you guys aren't going to go, then I'm going to send them to you. Okay? And that's exactly what's happened. 75 million people. Over 30,000 people live within five miles of where you're sitting. In all of Central Florida, only 14% of all those people that live here attend church. You're like, Tony, those are huge numbers. I know they are. But I just want you to focus on one. Each one bring one. Over the next year, there are three things, three things that you can do. I want you to invite one unchurched, unsaved, heathen person to a meal. Everyone has to eat, right? 
<laughs> like, well, maybe, I don't know, matters what's in, you know. Everyone has to eat. Find one person that's unchurched. It's not going to church. And not, not, not another church member. Don't get into a holy huddle. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to find an unchurched person. And if you're like, well, how will I know? You will know. <laughs> You'll know. God will leave, give you that insight. And just take them to a meal. But when you take them to a meal saying, hey, listen, I don't think I've ever shared my story. Can I share it? And share your story, one person, over a meal. Over the next year, invite one unchurched neighbor over to your house. And whether it's you or someone else in your, fam- in your family, have a meal and have someone tell their story. You ever notice how many times Jesus had conversations over meals? That's why I believe he's Baptist. That's why we do potlucks. It's biblical. I mean, think about it. When, when, when Jesus had risen from the dead and no one was really sure what was happening, he met those guys on the road to Emmaus. What happened when he broke bread? They're like, Jesus! <laughs> Invite someone over, a neighbor, to your house. And have someone tell their story. This is what God has done. And this is why. When you tell your story, the gospel's got to be part of that, by the way. It can't just be, well, I was a bad person and Jesus saved me. You ready to eat? <laughs> How? Well, I was a bad person because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin has caused separation from God and death and all this stuff. But you know what? When, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And all I had to do was call him. And, and I was saved, forgiven, and redeemed and restored. And now I'm a new person. Wow, that took two minutes. I've been praying every day that I work over the last couple of weeks. God, I just want to say that. And you know what? Every day I've had a chance to say that to somebody. See, I'm not, I'm not the pastor saying, you need to go and do that. I'm going to be at my desk studying for the next sermon. No, I'm the guy that's at Universal Studios trying to tell the gospel to a drunk person. <laughs> or to that, to that brand new officer or that someone that's just like, I figure out, I met a guy this week. I'm praying like, God, I want to buy a house so bad because I met a guy this week. And he's like, yeah, you know anybody that needs a roommate or anything because I'm living in my van. He used to be a worship leader at a church in Alabama. He's working security right now, and he lives in his van. I'm like, brother, I'm going to ask around. Can I pray for you? If you're still homeless, like in August when I buy a house, you've got a home, I promise you. God's going to put those people in. All we got to do is share. Then the last thing, last thing, over the next 50 weeks, invite an unchurched to a meal, unchurched person, share your testimony. Invite someone into your house and have someone else tell their story. Let them hear the story. And then finally, invite one unchurched person to, wait for it, church. <laughs> what? If we get sinners in here, we're in trouble. By the way, there's already plenty of us in here. <laughs> What did Newton say, the author of um, Amazing Grace? There are two things I know. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Listen, I told you this last week. If you're afraid to be around non-Christian people because you think it will affect your faith, then you and I need to talk about the faith you have because it's pitiful. Because nothing's going to change what I believe about Jesus, not anybody on this planet. So invite one unchurched to church with you. Can you imagine if everybody in here invited somebody to church and they came? 
and they got connected. Y'all need more chairs. By the way, I've always told you this. Our, our growth plan for this church is simple. It's you. It's not handing out free things. It's not paying people's rent. We don't have the money. We don't have the money to pay me right now. It's not doing stuff. It is us sharing the gospel, one person at a time. That is our growth plan. That will always be our growth plan. Sharing the gospel, one person at a time, one person at a time. So each one bring one. That's my challenge for you this next year. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you not to worry about the 30,000 or the 75 million or, or all these people, the, the 2.8 million that live just in downtown Orlando and in and, and the surrounding areas. I'm not telling you to do all that. I'm telling you to find one. Each one bring one. And if they argue with you, just look at them and say, come and see. Just come and see. See, because it's not programs, it's not plans, it's you that change everything. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. He says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivering, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. It is not what you know. It is not how much you have memorized. It is what God has done for you in your heart and in your life. That is the letter that shares the gospel and will change lives. It's not some sermon that someone can watch on Facebook. It's not some program or some outreach. It is us being the letter of Jesus in front of our people. And I'm asking you to do it to just one. Just one this year. To do this, there's a couple of things we need to do, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. There we go. We need to recognize and repent of excuses. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I want to take away every excuse that you have. I want to take away every excuse. And there's a couple of things that we just, we need to repent. And maybe today we need to sit there and say, God, this has been my excuse. Because that's all it is. This is an excuse. There's not one person here that can't speak, that can't share, that can't love, that can't tell the story that's in them. If you don't have a story, reminder, just a reminder, we're having an invitation at the end. And we'll start your story today. But every one of us has a story. And so the very first thing is we need to, um, man, we've got to get over the lack of personal growth. It is my job to challenge you, to exhort you, to teach you, to, to change, to just give you the tools. But it is not my job to grow you as pastor. Did you know that? I love that when I hear people like, well, I just didn't feel like I was growing at that church. I'd have people come up when I worked in another church. I just don't feel like I'm growing. I'm like, oh, cool. Are you having a devotion every day? Are you praying to God? Are you sharing the gospel? Well, no. I says, well, you're not going to grow anyway, so good luck. <laughs> it is your job to grow. And that could be bad theology that you have. It's going around right now. Listen, we are in need of some Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, stand-on-the-truth churches in this area because we got a bunch of them that are teaching everything but the true gospel. That are saying, if you have faith enough, you can own a big house and have a boat. It's health and wealth. That's what God wants you. Really, my Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> 
We got people that say, well, it's only this way and no other way. And you got to read just the King James and you got to do all that stuff. And I love the King James. I grew up in the King James. I learned to preach in the King James. But to sit and say, tell somebody that has a false lifestyle or something that is against what they believe and say, well, you're not allowed in church, which has happened in this area. It's bad theology. It's bad doctrine. And we're doing everything we can to teach you. That's why we're doing this history of the church. I want you to understand this is how we got here. This is why we were here. We stand upon the shoulders of great men and women that have gone before us and have done it. So let's figure that out and let's learn from it and let's grow. One of my favorite authors um, is a guy named Sweet. He wrote a book called Postmodern Pilgrims. And he put a warning in there. He says, if we don't have an anchor in what we've come from, then we will be set adrift and go everywhere. And so we need to grow in our theology. We need to grow in our scripture knowledge. Memorize verses. I know it's not easy. Or is it? How many of you know, how many of a song comes on the radio, you start singing it right away? I love that song. I can't memorize anything. I'm like, really? Let's play some music. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> I'm like, really? You memorize that? Okay. <laughs> so put scripture to music. <laughs> put a beat to it, whatever it takes. But let's, let's grow in our scripture knowledge. And let's stop being spiritually lethargic. Let's stop showing up to church just to show up. Let's show up to be changed and be motivated to go out and make a difference in the world. So we've got to repent. We've got to recognize that that's an issue. Next thing is we've got to, we have this whole idea of self-preservation. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's built into us. That's what sin did to us. We care more about ourselves than anything else. We're afraid. That's that fight or flight thing, you know? We're, we're, we're afraid because this isn't a priority to me. My priority is to do well in business and do well and have plenty of money and a big house or, or my family's all peaceful and happy. By the way, if you have a peaceful and happy family, can I talk to you? Because I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I don't. There's always something. Every time I think it's peaceful in my home, my daughters come home. <laughs> 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 but we, we don't make it priority or we're too busy to do this. I love it when people tell me, says, you know, I don't have enough hours in the day. I'm like, really? God gave you 24. That's plenty for everything. Sleep, eat, and spread his kingdom. We get the fear of rejection. What if people reject me? Then you're in great company because there's a Savior that died on the cross where everyone rejected him. Really? I'm afraid they're going to, like, laugh at me. Okay. I get laughed at every day. I am God's proof that he has a sense of humor. <laughs> Seriously, me and the platypus. That's it. <laughs> Why are we so worried about what they're going to say when the only thing that matters is well done, good and faithful servant? We desire to get along. We want to be tolerant. There are many ways to God. No, there's not. There's one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If that offends you, good. Because it's the truth. Let's just be tolerant. I think we can be loving. I think we can be kind of tolerant and say, hey, we understand this. We don't have to agree, and we will never stand on anything other than these words in this Bible, which means I don't care who comes through that door, how much money they have, or how much popularity or power they have. We're going to stand on the truth of this, and we're going to call sin, sin. And we're going to call holiness, holiness. And we're going to trust the grace of God for all of it. And we're going to do it in a way that says we love you. 
We're not going to hold picket signs out in front, ever. I see you holding a picket sign somewhere, picketing something. You and I are going to talk about you going to a different church. I got a few for you. We're going to love people, but we're going to stand upon the truth. That's the only tolerance we need. And then finally, we need to recognize that it's just downright disobedience. (laughs) The Great Commission is not an option. It's not for those that have gone to school or are getting paid or have chosen a vocation. It is a call for everyone of us to go and make disciples. It is a command for all of us. And when we don't do it, it's just disobedience. Failing to invite people, lack of witnessing, just saying, no, I can't do this. It is disobedience. And can I tell you, that is the sin of the Bible. It's us saying, God, I've got a better plan than you, and I'm going to do it my way. We've got to recognize these things, and we have to repent of them. And remember what repent is? Very simple. Repent is, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going to turn around and go the opposite way. And by the way, if you're not moving towards God, it is always the wrong way. It's just disobedience. I love this. D. Elton Trueblood said this. He said, evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. It is all of our job. It is all of our calling. It is what we do because we have identified with Christ. We have taken on his mission. We've said, this is where we're going to grow. This is how we're going to change the world because we're going to go share the story. We're going to know the gospel. We're going to keep going one at a time, one at a time. And it will change everything. So my question for you this morning is very, very simple. Who's your one? Will you be intentional? Will you be accountable? Will you be a disciple maker? It's not an option. It's what we are called. We are commanded. It's what we're made to be. It's why Jesus came. Who's your one? Will you take that challenge? Each one, bring one. Are you willing to do that? Let's start it right now. Are you willing to be accountable in all these things? If you're willing to be accountable, you said, yes, this next year, each one, I'll bring one. I'll invite somebody to my house. I'll take them out to dinner. I will share the gospel. I will share the message. I am willing to do that. I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. I'm going to ask you to be accountable right now. If you're willing to do that, stand up. I don't want you to do it because everybody else is standing up. I don't want you to do it because you think, man, this is all the pastor wants. If you're like, man, I'm not really sure about that, that's fine. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. But I'm saying, will you commit saying, I will bring one. I will find that one. I will share my story. I will share my testimony. I will share the gospel. I will go and do it. I want you. <coughs> this ain't a joke, y'all. Whether this church keeps existing or God says next month, like, hey, you guys did great. I'm done with you. That's good. It doesn't matter whether you do it here or anywhere. But this next year, will you find the one and say yes? Whatever it takes. Let's pray.